I don't even know what to ask anymore at this point. I was just like, you know what? I could just give Simone the mic, let her talk for maybe 20 minutes more. <laughs> and then I'll just put it into adulting with Simone Hang instead of Joy Spring. Welcome to Adulting with Joy Spring, the how-tos of your 20s told by 20-something, traversing through life expectantly and with gusto. I got a question for you. Have you ever wanted to create your own podcast or your own show? Probably something like this? Well, if so, you should definitely check out Spring Studios Philippines. They are the first virtual production studio in Asia, and they empower the world of digital creatives by producing, editing, and distributing podcasts throughout the world. Check them out at www.springstudios.co. Welcome to another episode of Adulting with Joyce. Spring. Today is so special, so special that I went and put on my power suit. I went and put on my falsies. I went all out to make sure that I look good for this incredible human being. I love her as radio broadcaster. I used to watch her when she was dancing in her late night radio show. And I just look up to her so much. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got the amazing Simone Hang on Adulting with Joyce Spring. Hi, Simone. Oh my God, you're going to to make me cry <laughs> at you watching you for the last I mean it's five years gone like that and watching you online and seeing how your following's grown and the awards you've won and how you've gone from this you know radio presence and you've really built something and I hope that stuff like that is a little bit of my legacy in the world because I think around the time I started radio girls were just doing radio and that was it and I was like no I want to do more and to see <laughs> other women do I mean that just is everything to me and do you remember being called like some people would tell me that I had no focus because I couldn't just sit still and do radio. I wanted to do TV. I wanted to do live events. I wanted to do speaking engagements. I wanted to keep being creative. And some people would just tell me and go like, why can't you stick with one job? And you are also a multi-passionate entrepreneur. Yeah, so I think that's really funny. I remember one day my boss at Virgin Radio when I was based in Dubai, he's like my mentor. I love the man so much. And he brought me in and he said, you know, Simone, I know I said to you when you took the contract that yes, you could do what you wanted to do but, but please don't forget why you're here because obviously as an expat they give you a contract and a residency to go there and uh, when I negotiated I said okay well I also want to be able to do this and they but I don't think they had any idea of how much of a doer I am <laughs> and so I would be coming to the radio really tired and trying to pretend I wasn't tired but it was obviously really I was 24 I was not a good actress <laughs> so but I think I mean we're talking that is like 11 years ago now if you look at what's happened in general to people from older media because the impact of older media has incre has decreased and in order for the money to be made the way people in old media used to 20, 30 years ago, people in that position, broadcasters now, do have to have a little online business on the side. Girls have got clothing brands. Like everyone needs to do it now because actually that base salary from a radio job or even in some markets a TV job is just not enough. So yeah, I think the market changed in our favor, Joyce. <laughs> They had to adapt with us, right? We didn't have to adapt to them. But I think it's also one of the reasons why I look up to you so much because if there's any adjective that I could use to describe you and what I see from what you do online, I think the word that I would use, as all the words would be brave. You're always so brave in trying out things that you're passionate about. I mean, I see you working. When you were doing a lot of live events and radio, I see you constantly posting about your work on live events and radio. And now, that you're working
working on human connection it's so much of that material as well online and I feel like you're so brave in all of your pursuits you are this little Asian girl in the great big world doing everything that you want and you can with your talents but take us back to the first few seasons of your journey I guess I I know the story of of how you started out but maybe a lot of our listeners are not yet familiar with you so why don't you take us back Simone sure so I um, started out in like I was obviously raised in Australia and I remember walking into I had an agent there for acting and I, I was studying acting at university I wanted to be an actress but I quickly found out at university that when you're at the time if you're a mixed race person you know what would they cast your parents as in an Australian context like that <laughs> like we're talking 20 years ago guys it was very different to now what you see on Netflix and you know never have I ever is on and it's so diverse and there's Eurasian kids and Asian kids and it, it wasn't like that 20 years ago and this um, this commercial agent said to me you know Simone there is nothing here in Australia for you if you want to do this you're going to have to leave and I think that that really broke me but it was the best thing that ever happened to me so I hmm. I continued to start university. My father passed away and I had this big struggle with my own mortality about what are we actually here for? And my dad was a humble shopkeeper and he was a migrant to Australia. He worked seven days a week for 20 years and never saw his retirement that he was waiting for. So I thought, you know, life is now. And so I went off to to Asia and I became a VJ for Channel V in 2005. And it was a harrowing crash course in what Asian media is. Like it was you know, you are not fully you. I mean, I learned about branding and marketing at age of 21, you know, like what goes out in a traditional broadcasting setting when you belong to another brand is not actually the complete you. It is a slice of you Mm. that the corporation wants. And so I learned a lot about branding. So if we talk about, you see me posting so much and this or that, because I understand, and you learn this from radio because we play a new song a billion times until people get it. So people always have an aggregate idea of what you do. But when you're trying to rebrand, you're now trying to bombard them to make them have a more distinct Mm. acknowledgement of the new things that you're doing. And that's why there's such a veracity of content um, during this rebrand of mine. So yeah, so I then went with this Channel V thing. I got fired after three months. It was terrible. I cried. I had $500 in my wallet. It is the only time I've ever been fired. And it was such a fantastic experience for someone who's very type A and a high achiever and always equated effort with success. Mm -hmm. And the truth is in the entertainment industry, you can be the hardest worker ever. And maybe eventually things will work out for you. But in those days, it was how skinny you were, how tall you were, how likable you were. Did you bring a market with you to the cable channel? And it was heartbreaking. But it was great because I learned that it takes more than just being hardworking to get over the line and be successful in the workplace. It takes street smarts Mm -hmm. as well as smarts. And it's the whole embodiment of you as well. It's, you know, how you show up, how you dress, how you speak. Joyce Mm -hmm. and I makeup lovers, we were talking about this before as well. (laughs) And these things, well, sadly or happily, if you learn the game, are all part of that. And so I was very lucky after that that awful incident, I was picked up by HBO Asia at the age of 22. So I had 10 months of literally no work, was Mm -hmm. homeless at one point. My Chinese auntie kicked me out. Like it was crazy. And then was really blessed. Got this gig on HBO and then decided that I needed to make more money because it was a monthly show. And I got a radio job during the week. And nine months into that radio job, I got an email from Virgin Radio and International saying, how would you like to come and live and work in the fastest growing city in the world? And back in 2000, that was you know Dubai and I I remember seeing my junk and going is this a mistake (laughs) 
saw you on the Power 98 website and I was like, okay, so this must be real. This is not a joke. And I think back then it was the first time I realized I had a direct voice to the universe. Like the universe and I were actually playing a game together because the guy who had trained in radio was a Filipino guy called Mario Lahaka. And he was at this radio station in Singapore training me. And he had told me that prior to that, he'd been in Sharjah, which is an emirate of the UAE. And he'd said, you know, Simone, if I didn't have a wife and kids, I would still be there um, because it's a great place as a single person. And I was really suffering in Singapore. Singapore is crazy expensive. And when you earn entry level radio money, like you, you don't really have much of a life. Um, so I was like, I'm going to get a reel together and then I'm going to go to Dubai. I'm going to go to the UAE. And I didn't even, I just put that thought, I planted that thought, I forgot about it. And like three months after that, I got that email. And I think that was the first time that I realized, wow, the power of manifestation mm-hmm. is really real in my life. And it's happened since then over and over again. And that changed my life. So I did five years at Virgin Radio and it taught me everything I know about marketing, branding, hard work, everything, endorsements all of it and hair and makeup even (laughs) and and I think the Arabs really gave me a chance in a way that um, the Singaporeans never did or the Australians never did so I think that's the thing as well if you if you don't feel comfortable in your work right now and you feel that maybe you don't belong there might be somewhere else for you that you might not have even thought of yet so it was a beautiful thing that I left Australia because I would never have experienced um, that array of cultures and then my mother has a massive stroke in 2013 and I come back to Australia after five years there I leave this dream job of mine to go and be with her mm. and take care of her because my dad's passed away so it's just my sister and I and her and then yeah and then after taking care of her for one and a half years I was on air in Australia but I was so used to living in a dynamic city that that kind of suburban lifestyle just it really got me down and so I asked for a job at MediaCorp and they gave it to me and I came out 2015 and I did four years of radio and was like seeing with each year the lack of relevance of the medium and I think that if there's one thing if you connect to your mission and ask yourself what is your mission and if your mission is to have impact and you start to see that the content that you share is more and more vacuous and it's not changing people's lives it's not imprinting on people for me I was like well it's time to it's time to find the internet <laughs> yeah other ways of touching people's lives which um which leads us to a year ago when I left uh, that full-time radio job and set up my own company and started as a professional speaker. So many things to unpack from just what you said. I mean, so long. I'm sorry. No, it's it's totally fine. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, I, just the beginning part of that. I guess the conversation was really a lot of people were asking me to ask you personally how you went through or if you ever went through quarter life crisis and I think you did what were the things that you kept telling yourself when you were moving from Australia to Singapore and from Singapore to Dubai it was I mean let's start with the quarter quarter life crisis which actually I think it actually happened to me maybe because we're Asian and we look younger it probably actually happened to me around 30 29 30 Mm -hmm. and that is when everyone starts to settle down and get married and it wasn't not only wasn't it happening for me it was so far from happening for me because what was happening with my mum was so scary mm. and I was pretending I was okay but if I look back now I was absolutely shitting myself inside it was just awful like watching her go through that and I was I knew it would be years before I emotionally would recover from that and be ready to really be someone's partner so it wasn't just that people were getting married around me it's like I knew that was so far away for me I had so much to process mm. and then on top of that I think it was also when you've been in an industry and this is what I want 
want to say to all young girls, I was in an industry that told me from about the, from 2005, age of 21, that all your brains and all of the things that you can do that have made you who you are up until that time, like throughout school and things like that, those things are now no longer important. What is important is that you're skinny and you're pretty and you don't have an opinion and you're likable and you're polite and you defer, you don't you don't talk about your achievements, you defer power to other people. And this is the, you know, this is the 1995 Asian entertainment industry mindset that in 2005 when I joined as a VJ was still happening. And what I think is amazing for your generation and for what I see online now is that there's never been a greater time to be a woman and a woman of color with a voice and for me it's like it's all happened the way it was supposed to happen to be at this inflection point now but at that time the quarter life crisis was real because I felt I was aging and that was really there are days even now where I have to say hey you don't have to be sexy in a photo anymore to get likes on it you don't have to be and I look back at some of my counterparts now in their 40s and they're still putting up the sexy photos because they're still in that industry and in still in that matrix and mm. a wonderful thing to have people want to pay you five figures to speak for you and it has nothing to do with how you look and I think that if there's one thing that I could leave you if you're having a quarter life crisis if you feel you're aging or everyone's moving on and you're not honey it's going to be okay I want you to go back to who you were as a kid who were you as a kid what was your identity as a kid that's probably where some of the magic's going to start happening for you mm-hmm. I think that's such an amazing advice but it's also so difficult to follow right especially in an Asian setting where everyone's just kind of herd mentality we we like to follow where the herd goes we like to follow where everything's comfortable so where do you find that kind of grittiness to step away from from the group and from the herd to actually be able to do your own thing and be brave enough to do your own thing uh, I think it's when you get to that point where you just cannot anymore push somebody else's agenda so when you work for a corporation, mm. I just couldn't anymore also because I like you Joyce I look at what people are doing in other markets I'm curious I read books I watch documentaries and I was like the world is moving on and we are still pushing a 1995 vanilla content agenda and I cannot spend the rest of my life when I have a voice doing this so I think it comes from this place of like I cannot take it anymore we say in Singlish cannot tahan anymore it means I, I cannot take it anymore <laughs> that's the point that literally outweighs the fear hmm. I think it's really knowing the purpose, right? It's it's knowing your purpose and having something that's bigger and outside of yourself. And I think that also went back to what you experienced with your mom. And I actually know the backstory because I attended or rewatched one of your open webinars for Courageous Speaking and you talked about how Yeah, so I attended it and you were talking about how to use your voice and inflection and all these other articulation to put your message across. But you're also talking about your backstory, how you grew up in an Asian household, what happened to your mom and how that eventually led to your work in human connection. So why don't you tell us more about that? Hair in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So I think Courageous Speaking particularly was made for, for Asian people. Like I obviously coach a whole bunch of executives from Forbes 30 under 30 winners to employees at Amazon. And we work on presentation skills and the biggest blocks are a lot of the time from an experience growing up in an Asian household where you were told to shut up or your ideas were mocked or you were just equating being outspoken with being disobedient and therefore being bad. And that trauma crystallizes and stops as an Asian community from 
having that kind of outspokenness that I see in the African-American community or I see in the Latino community or I see in the Caucasian community, the European community. We as a minority, we don't have that because we grow up in a culture that is exactly as you said, herd mentality. It's a communal culture. Mm-hmm. You are not just, it's not just about you. It is about your family and the community that you belong to. And the problem with that is, is also is that you can lose your voice. So I experienced that growing up, but I would go into the school and experience something different. I would be experienced validation from speaking up. I would win awards for debating and drama and these things. So I knew that there was a space where this was valued. It just wasn't in Asia. But now the culture has changed because of BLM and the Me Too movement and all of these things. And it happened just, you know, a year after I went out to this full time. So I was very, very lucky in terms of the timing. Realized the opportunity was right to create a community where these people could be safe to find their story and their message and then learn to speak out. And I wanted to make it at a price point where people in Vietnam Um, Thailand, the Philippines could afford to coach with me because one-on-one coaching is super expensive. It's not for everyone. So that's the story. The stories we all go through. I don't know. Were your parents amazing? You're quite amazing. So I have a feeling your parents are like amazing. No, my parents also, my my parents are are great, but I, my dad actually passed away when I was just two. And then I grew up with a stepdad and then my, my mom and my stepdad eventually also split up. So I didn't grow up in a, in a super healthy household either and I think you know now I've been talking a lot about on the podcast about how I'm attending therapy and my psychologist actually keeps telling me to read this book by Vessel van der Kolk which is called The Body Keeps the Score. I love that book. Have you read that book? It's really good and it has a lot to do with human connection as well in that it talks about how everything that you experience as a child has a huge impact on you as an adult and that's what you were saying earlier that there's a part of your brain called the amygdala that this part of your limbic cortex that everything that you went through, especially emotionally, is just stuck in there. So the way that you speak, the way that you carry yourself in public, all of those things are affected by your childhood. But then because our brains are so neuroplastic, you're actually able to change that by human connection, by by coaching, by by learning new things. Absolutely. And I I think that, you know, when you do, do go to therapy, and when I was in therapy, they were saying to me that, you know, I could go for a tapping retreat. And tapping is this idea of that your body, so everyone holds their stresses in a different place. You know, some people have lower back pain. That is where they store. Other people store it in their gut. Their pain is stored in their gut. Or for me, it's in my neck. And you can go through exercises to actually release release that and the relationship between your physical body and your trauma as well. You must read the work of Gabor Mate. I think a documentary is coming out soon. Gabor Mate is you know the answer to addiction is connection and it's so funny because in my therapy work not actually my human connection research the same thing was coming up again and again so a lot of people who form addictions based off a feeling of unlovability mm-hmm. disconnectedness in their childhood definitely something that I felt all the way up until 2015 in fact Paul and the relationship that you see now online is, is my first post-therapy, long-term relationship. And the reason it's so healthy is because I went to solve my issues. And those obviously are grief issues. You know, my dad passing away, my mum being paralyzed. These are things that even if you are 29 or 19, when you go through them, they still stick in your brain and they manifest in your life in other ways. And I would just plead with anyone, if you feel sometimes that you're feeling deep, deep disconnection, go and talk to someone. Because once those issues start to become processed, your life becomes brighter and happier than you could have ever imagined. Like I actually said the other day, like, I'm so happy. Is this how the rest of the world has felt? And I'm only feeling this at 36. Like seriously, like everyone else feels like this 
all the time. Yeah, you know, it's a good catch up. It's a good catch up. I, I think more than anything, it's really you're right. It's fixing your issues and and really facing it more than anything, right? And finding that human connection that that's intended for our healing. And you commented recently in one of the the podcast episodes that I did with Glenn Tanner, who is a psychologist from Australia, and you told me remind me to talk about this on the podcast. What is it about healing and human connection that's so interconnected, Simone? So. Basically, when we're cavemen, we are wired, our brains are wired for connection. We were in tribes. So if I was pregnant and I was slowing the tribe down, the other women would gather food for me to eat. Or if a male member of the tribe was injured out hunting, the rest of the men would hunt for his family and feed his family. So the tribe kept us safe and our brains are still wired to operate in tribes. But the problem is we have technologically advanced so much that our cities are no longer tribally based. We can go days without seeing another human being. Even villages, you know, in Europe, up until you know 100 years ago were still designed with a central church or a temple for example where people would bump into each other we no longer live like that but our brain is still wired the same way it was wired when we were early man and the problem with that is when we're disconnected like what you were saying with Glenn when we are alone during this pandemic or we perceive ourselves to be alone so if we already have depression we perceive ourselves to be unloved and alone our brain is flooded by stress hormones like adrenaline cortisol norepinephrine and these make our inflammation system go like our whole nervous system becomes inflamed so that leads to a lot of life shortening diseases um cancers high blood pressure but how it affects our sleep is when we were cast out of that tribe in as early man we would then not have our tribesmen to protect us so if we were sleeping we would have to rouse ourselves many times in the night to look out for predators like saber-toothed tigers so nothing has changed the thing i was talking about with sleep that you were saying with Glenn was that if you are not sleeping well during this pandemic, it's because your brain is sleeping more lightly and rousing to look for predators the same way it was wired as early man. We have not evolved in the same speed as our cities have evolved. So if you've got lack of sleep, that's what I wanted to say. It's all about how we are wired for connection and that disconnection leads to worse sleep. And and I know that you also took uh, two years to really study about this, to, to really study about human connection and how it affects us as individuals and as a community and as a society but of all the things you know that you've read about Gabor Mate and all these other incredible authors what are some of the most profound things that you've learned that you've actually applied also in your life that have changed the way that you connect with other human beings absolutely I think the number one thing that I learned is actually not from so when you're learning to develop your own thought leadership you also have to do your own research so it can't just be that you read all the connection books out there I only read my first connection books three months ago. So I did all that keynote that you see is original interviewees on the hustle on my radio job, getting up early. And one of the people that I went to interview was an addiction specialist and a therapist. And she said that her most disconnected patients with other people were the ones that were the most disconnected from themselves. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I asked this person to do a mantra, like say, I'm, you know, come up with a mantra, say, I'm wonderful on this. I'm confident. I'm wonderful. I'm a great person. And he would say them with complete hollowness. And she would say, but how do you actually feel those words? And there was a complete lack of connection between his 
senses of what he was feeling, thinking, his gut, all of those things that we develop going through life, mm -hmm. he was completely disconnected. So he couldn't tell you, did you have a good day or did you have a bad day? So the big takeaway is if you want great connection with other people, you have to develop good self-connection. Like it does not happen without all the work that, you know, Joyce, you're doing when you talk about therapy. Like I talk openly about it because I believe it changed my life. I'm so glad it happened at 31 and not at 50. I would have lost another 15 years of my life you know do whatever you can to get to know yourself better because once you know yourself and you're fully self-possessed it's so easy to meet people connect with them and have that become a friendship because they are connecting with the real you and not an avatar of you a lot of the time we put out a projection of ourselves in the world which is not actually authentically us so there's a disconnect particularly in asia you know we see i see a lot here with my clients you know, i'm half chinese so the chinese background where we've learned to show face since we were little kids and so you know if you're pissed off you don't say you're pissed off you'd be like mm, i'm okay and you keep <laughs> that emotion deep inside you and it becomes something else it affects your nervous system it causes inflammation it turns into to physiological illness don't mm. keep that in you learn to go okay i feel shitty and it's okay to feel shitty for a little bit process it and then calmly say to someone you know i don't feel very good today but mm. we're as asians we are not taught to emote like that and i think that learning self-connection is the best thing that you can ever do for your re existing relationships and to meet new people how did you learn that for yourself simone self-connection i mean did you ever feel like you're disconnected with yourself or were you always kind of in this journey of finding your self-connection and learning about who you were i always knew something was a bit wrong i think i remember my first long-term boy well second long-term boyfriend when i was in dubai and we were living together which we were not supposed to do you're not meant to live with your de facto partner but anyway toy 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 that's very bad of me and basically we would have fights and I knew how much he loved me. And I would see myself play up. I would be much more exaggerated in my pain versus how I actually felt because I knew he loved me. And I would always wonder, why did I need to see his pain to see that he loved me? And that was all to do with my disconnection as a child. So if you feel unlovable, you are testing people's love. You wanna see that love reflected back in you. And I knew that that was wrong. That was when the little red flags kind of started. And later in life, after mum's paralysis, I had a lot of rage and people had started to tell me, I was never an angry child, but I started to be quite an angry adult. People were starting to actually tell it back to me, which means I wasn't keeping a lid on it. But in those moments, the disconnection was that I couldn't control the rage. And it's scary, like my eyes would go black, you know, because there was so much grief that wasn't dealt with. And I think that those were the big two markers of like, something is not right. This is not who you were as an, a happy, innocent child before dad died before all this stuff happened who were you you were this loving warm energetic bubbly person and i hate i don't like to say it like this because i know it's not the way but i would start to tell myself the narrative of what has the world done to you and that is the narrative we don't want to get into because that leads to cynicism we don't want to go there we you know i think i caught it just in time and now you know the rage has been ex of course i still get angry but it's not like a blind it's no longer a blind rage and those were the two big things so if you have rage it's more than an anger it's almost like a child childish tantrum mm. that's a big marker that something there is some trauma there 
there that is disconnected. You cannot identify it yet. I'm learning so much already just from listening to all of you. I don't even know what to ask anymore at this point. I was just like, you know what? I could just give Simone the mic, let her talk for maybe 20 minutes more. <laughs> and then I'll just put it into adulting with Simone Hang instead of Joy Spring since both are... <laughs> I'm so used to being the interviewer. No, not at all. I mean, I'm learning so much and I feel like more than anything, most of my listeners are also in very pretty young. So we're, we're in our middle 20s, early 20s. And a lot of people have the same struggles that you were talking about, you know, and a lot of us also were talking about mental health. I mean, that's why we talk about it so much here on the podcast, because especially in the Philippines, we haven't found that community yet. And I'm trying to build that community also for young men and women to start talking about it. I'm not claiming that I've done the research or I have the answers, but I am claiming that I can start asking the questions that are important to us that eventually lead to substantial conversations that could change our lives. And you're right, more than anything, it's really just identifying that and eventually talking about it and then finding your tribe so that you have people to grow with and connect with and talk about these issues with. And the great thing is we created a poster and we asked people to send you their questions and they actually have a lot of human connection questions. Okay, so the first one is from Jerlyn Nolan who says, how do you hold space for someone like processing or validating his or her emotional state while simultaneously attending or being present to your own? Oh, that is such a good question. And I think that is also a self-connection question because we all know we have boundaries and limits. You know when someone has crossed a boundary. You'll feel it in your gut unless you have some severe mental illnesses which need to be also talked to. But most of us, in the absence of mental illness, have a moment where we know someone's crossed a boundary. So when you get that red flag in your gut, you know that you are needing to take back more space for yourself and relinquish a bit of the attention to the validation of the other person. So listen to that gut. And that's when you need to exercise some self-love and self-care. And by the way, I will add just on what we were previously saying that the, the mental health discussion is actually the beginning of the search for connection. Mm, There's no conversation about mental health, anxiety, depression without the conversation about connection. Do you have your own um, self-care tips? What do you do to feel good? I mean, you look good. You sound good. You're so good at what you do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I definitely love to go for a walk in nature and um, I'm actually moving house soon. I'm really devastated I won't be near the Botanic Gardens anymore, which is this stunning UNESCO World Heritage Site in the center of Singapore where it's beautiful gardens. It's incredible. So I'm a bit sad about that. I do this thing, which I never did in my 20s. I was a complete workaholic because I was looking for validation from my work, which is also a chase for love and connection, right? Mm -hmm. So now I have this thing that I do not do work and I do not put out content unless I'm rested because it's always half-baked if I do. So if I'm tired, I sleep, and which I couldn't do as a broadcaster because the company I work for really pushed us very hard. And now that I'm my own boss, I'm like, okay. Yesterday I found out that one of my family members was killed in the Be Beirut blast. It, it's been terrible. I've been in, on the phone to Australia all of yesterday. And I took the day off because I was like, this is nothing good is going to come out of you posting anything, doing anything today. And so tomorrow, Saturday, I will work because I didn't work on Thursday. And that is the beauty of being your own boss. Um, so if you are uh, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs listening to this, that's my best self-care advice. If you want to be creative, stress out tired people cannot be creative mm, awesome 
Awesome. Uh, Simone Motz Venturina has a great question. I, I'm also curious about this. What piece of advice have you ever given before about life that you yourself are still struggling with? Please share any experience. Have you ever done that? Have you ever given advice on something or have you ever talked about human connection at the season of your life where you were actually struggling with human connection? Um, no, because I believe in being authentic. So I really had done a lot of the resolution before I started that. Mm. I couldn't have studied it without it being a huge red arrow to the deficits in my own life. There's not a book that you could open up and read about connection and not be like, this is pointing to me. Um, and, <laughs> you know, um, I think the one thing that I did struggle a little bit with is does, and this is a question that I've had to, as a specialist in this area, from what I know, come up with the answer myself. Does being a great human connector or being healthily connected mean tolerating meanness or bitchiness around you? So does human connection and being a healthy human connector mean that I must show compassion even for people who are mean to me? And I came up with the answer and I, I believe great human connection comes actually from boundaries because you cannot connect with people who don't have energy, right? So if in your circle you have people who are bringing you down, people who are bitching about you, all these kinds of things... Do you still forgive those people and let them back into your life? And I came up with the thing of, I absolutely forgive them, absolutely forgive them, have compassion, but it would affect my other connections to be inauthentic, to continue that friendship or those relationships, knowing that that person has not got my best interest at heart. And that's what I came up with for myself. Vivek Murthy, Gable Mate, these guys might disagree with me, but as a young woman living in the world, I could only see that causing me more inauthenticity and more rage. And I've spent so much of my life in that. I don't want that to continue into the next phase of my life. Mm. So that and you, yeah, yeah, you have to define for yourself, I guess. Also, I mean, you could take all of these information and and read all these authors and listen to all these speakers. But at the same time, I think one of the things that we have to really learn is how does that apply to me personally, to my own journey, to what I've gone through? Because I've also read all these books, and even with books on productivity, like you have to wake up at five in the morning. What if you're not a morning person? A five AM club. I was like, I'm not even downloading that one. <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna waste my credits on that. <laughs> it's never gonna happen. <laughs> and I realized, like, before a certain hour of the day, I don't. So I've got some coaching clients in North America, and I know, like, the earliest we can do what that time is. Any earlier than that, I'm not of good service to them because mm. I'm not super clear in the morning. So you know, so it really depends. Eight nine AM is as early as we go, kids. <laughs> doing a coaching. Yeah, so, so Early enough to yourself, and that's what I love about your generation. I'm so inspired by the girls ten years younger than me because you're so liberated and you're so able to have this much more healthy rhetoric about it's not black and white. My generation was like the rules are black and white. You want to be a TV presenter, you better be skinny and tall and Eurasian and pretty. You know, they all looked the same. They're all mestiza like during that period. And now it's like no women who are curvier, women of real color, like black and brown women, can be on the TV have an incredible following that they deserve because they're talented and they connect with people. And I'm like, God, I was born 10 years too late. I, <laughs> absolutely, that's right. Find out what works for you. Mm -hmm. Figure out what works for you. And I think also learn from everything that's happening around you, right? Take what benefits you and leave everything else. And on that note, we've got a question from Barbara Sardana who asks, what are your top five books? I am such a huge fan of everything that you're reading. So I want to know what are the five books that have really changed 
changed your life? Oh my God. Okay. In terms of public speaking, talk like Ted, not Ted Talks, but talk like Ted. There's two that's out on the market. Talk like Ted is very good. Another book called The Art of Speech Writing by Philip Collins, which is a, he's Tony Blair's former speechwriter. I went to fly to London to study under him. And it's great because there's not many books about structuring content. There's a lot about presenting, but not how to structure. So that's very good. I absolutely love Blue Fishing that I just finished by Steve Sims. And I interviewed him for my blog, which is coming out soon. He talks a lot about human connection and business. And actually yesterday I spent five hours at the post office sending handwritten cards and presents to speaker bureaus, and contacts overseas some of my clients in Hong Kong who just booked a massive package with me and it's just like it's so funny it's like you know Simone Heng stationery my handwriting <laughs> like Asian face masks I sent to London but I learned from this book that this man Steve Sims was able to achieve incredible things just by showing a human touch and in an era of chatbots and automation and you know stock answers and AI if you use your human connection skills I truly believe it makes you so so memorable. Mm. So I, I sent those off and Steve Sims taught me a lot about that. So Blue Fishing, incredible book. Another book that is incredible is Daring Greatly by Brené Brown. She I love Brené Brown. About, yeah, she's fantastic. And what I love about her is she says in the book that even though she's a vulnerability expert, she's not always vulnerable. And this is how I often think of even being a human connection specialist. I probably do it right 92% of the time, but 8% of the time, I'm not great. Just like Brené Brown isn't vulnerable all the time. But that's also part of the journey of becoming a specialist in anything the studying never stops the learning the observing never stops and so I think that really released me is that she actually demonstrates vulnerability in a book about vulnerability which you know that's like when I get on a stage or do this I want you to connect with me not just me speak about connection Mm. so that was great so that's four. And number five, let me look on my shelf. There's so many good ones. Oh, um, a book on rebranding that I just finished. A lot of it I already knew, but if you don't know about rebranding marketing, it will help you. I often think that rebranding is far more difficult than branding. Like if you've never put any content out before and you do it, oh sister, so much easier than redirecting the message. It's called Reinventing You and it's by Dory Clark. Ooh, so many good books already. And Gabor Mate as well. I'm going to read his new book. I actually just downloaded him on audible me too so i was listening yesterday to the hungry ghost is that the one you're listening to yes that's the one actually and i forgot to tell you another one matt haig has an incredible book called reasons not to die mm-hmm. and both him and gabel Marte's hungry ghost book are inspiration for the book i'm trying to write on human connection which the book is part story but it's also part facts so it's interesting it's like unlike other self-help books that are just like point top five points do this do that it's more there's a, an emotional connection being built from the story part of it and then mm-hmm. once they're inspired to make change then there's kind of statistics and directives which I like that's the kind of book I want to write and we're just all waiting for your book we're just waiting Simone when is it gonna come well so Joyce that's why I'm hiring you and Spring Studio to do my podcast I have another lady I just bought on to do YouTube videos and stuff like that so once I can outsource all of this content creation that will clear up space in my schedule to um, write the book but you know what I've also realized right now is it's a really big time 
lines and people booking human connection speeches for their organizations. So mm -hmm. there's no way to get around that because like it's because people need that message right now. And mm -hmm. so it's a juggling act. You know this, you juggle too. Yeah, that's right. We're always juggling. That was actually part of my, that was my last question for you, Simone, is to ask you about human connection at a time like this. I mean, I think more than any other time in human history, this is so difficult because we were so used to having human connection. And you were right, you know, we use technology to not even see other people and stay connected with them. But now the constrictions are just too much. So how do you do human connection at a time like this? We're in the middle of a global crisis. Absolutely. So we've obviously in the past been using connection. We've never been more digitally connected, but more disconnected in our lives. It's like standing at a party alone, surrounded by people and feeling empty. So mm -hmm. what we have to do now, particularly for those of you who have older people in your life that love you, I want us all to up our digital game. So basically, if you are a big voice noter, I'm a massive voice noter because I'm an auntie and it takes me ages to type. So I voice note. The next thing I have to do now is send video. If you are someone who's a big texter, I want you to graduate to voice note. We all have to put extra effort into showing our face on video, turn your camera on on Zoom, ladies and gentlemen, that connection that they are so starving off and I promise it will make you even more memorable than you already are simply by the fact that you are showing up when other people are literally just putting up a black screen or just sending a text back. We've all got to increase that because the world is starved right now. So whatever your digital behavior is, I want you to go the next level up in connectivity. Mm, awesome. And Simone, thank you so much for spending this afternoon with us. I mean, I know you're so busy juggling everything that you're doing, but I just want to say that you inspire me so much in everything that you do. And I know that there are so many other great things that you're set out to do. And I'm so excited to get your book, to be part of your courageous speaking community and to really just see you bloom so much more than you already are because you, you bring so much hope to ladies like myself who want to be able to stand up for herself and be her own voice. So I really appreciate you for that. For those of you listening, Joyce has like the best reputation. I know people in Dubai who know of Joyce and are like, she's the nicest girl. She's such a sweetheart. Who was telling me this? Oh my God, someone was telling me that they knew. That's incredible. And you were so lovely. And like, I can't even remember. But I mean, that is, your reputation is your brand and you do that so well. And you're so loved. And it is a joy to see the next generation of Asian women who are public facing, putting substance into the world. Thank you, Simone, for paving that way. Thank you so much, Simone, for being on the show. Why don't you invite everyone to check out Courageous Speaking as well as to follow you on your social media accounts? Absolutely. So, so courageousspeaking.com is the place to go guys if you subscribe to our email list we send you lots of free tips if you're a student and you can't afford the 15 us dollars a month right now don't worry if you subscribe to the mail list i send my free tips out there also loads of free tips on tiktok at simone hang and instagram as well you probably don't use linkedin but i'm on linkedin too guys but simone hang on most of the platforms awesome thank you simone for being on the show most welcome that's it for this episode of Adulting with Joy Spring. If you liked this podcast, please don't forget to use the hashtag Adulting with Joy Spring and also check out www.joyspring.com for the show notes and tag me on social media with you know it at Joy Spring. I'll talk to you guys again soon. Paalam! 
If you like this podcast and want to support our team, visit anchor.fm slash joyspring to make a monthly donation. Not only will you keep adulting with Joyspring going, when you donate, you help in feeding my dog Bowie and making this world a better place. Visit anchor.fm slash joyspring and click support to give me and this podcast your hard-earned money. Why you would do it, I have no idea, but thanks in advance. Thank you.